The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You've heard of cattle mutilations, but have humans been subject to this extreme behavior as well? And then we're going to end on a light note today as we talk about the smelliest smell ever recorded today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. I'm having a great day. I feel a little under the weather. I don't know if it's the weather change or if I was out in the cold a little too much or a little bit of the flu. Uh, It could be a combination of all three. So we'll go ahead and get through this and then I'm going to crank my heater up and watch some movies. Yeah, I'm just not, my tummy's not feeling 100%. I think I'm just tired though. Like, I've just been working hard. And... Just another quick reminder, The after this week, I'm taking a week off. So the first week of November, I will not be producing anything Dead Rabbit related. We will come back with season three the second week of November. So after Friday, I'm going to go ahead and take a week off and just kind of rest. I'm actually going to catch up on some research, but we're not going to be recording anything. So we'll be back for season three at the beginning of the second week of November, and I will be ready to go. So first thing I want to talk about, actually, no, I want to talk about this first, too. Because it's not necessarily a whole segment by itself. It's just really, really weird. Something recently happened. Okay, so the article came out on Monday, which is today, but it was Friday. So the 27th of October in Oakland, California. These police, they're working in their downtown office, you know, just doing paperwork, stuff like that. And some people come in and they're like, we think we found a human head. And the cops are like, uh... You know, it's a close to Halloween. They figured either the people were pulling a prank on them. And they're like, oh, we're either going to laugh at this or we're going to arrest you for wasting our time. Or they thought, well, these guys probably just found some prop, some Halloween prop. And it looks super realistic. And they figured, you know, it's it's just a, it's a prank. It's a prank, bro. It's just a prank. The cops go. The people bring the head. And these two people, they're like, hey, we have this head. Um, you might want to investigate it. And they bring it in. And the cops, it takes some... Not very long to realize it is a real decapitated human head. And they said, this was the quote, It was decomposed and had a little bit of flesh on it. I can say in my years of service, I've never had a human skull delivered to the police station. And these people, they found it in the backyard of an apartment complex. And so immediately the cops are like, okay, this is an actual, this is first off, that's gross. Secondly, we need to investigate this. Like I said, this just happened this weekend. They don't know who the head belongs to. They don't know how it got there. They don't know how the person died. They've been asking people around the apartment complex, hey, uh, see any weird stuff lately? And that's pretty much all they have to go on is two people showing up with the head. I'm sure they were initial suspects, but yeah. Weird, weird. Someone out there got their head chopped off and it was thrown in an apartment complex backyard. And it must have been there. I'm wondering if it was either there for a bit and no one noticed it, or it was somewhere else and they transported it and got rid of it at the apartment complex. But Oakland police, I'm sure they had other things going on that night, or they were super bored, one or the other, but now they definitely have a case with very little evidence and no crime scene that they now have to solve. So we'll keep you informed if anything more comes of that. I don't think it will, but 
we'll keep you informed. Next thing I wanted to talk about. So I did the episode on Operation Plate. Now, it's funny because I try to keep my shows relatively short, under 30 minutes tops. That Operation Plate, the that segment alone was 28 minutes. And it was funny because I recorded it and then I'm editing it. And usually I'll record it and then every episode gets about 20 minutes edited out of it. That segment was so lean. I le- left the bare bones of that story in to the episode. I recommend you guys following the links and reading more because there are tons of firsthand... I took out had to take out a couple of the villagers' firsthand encounters of the Chupa Chupas. Because I was just simply running out of time. There were a lot of people had their own encounters with these uh, vehicles or creatures or whatever they were. And I was like, I'd love to include all these little tidbits, but I just, I needed to keep it lean. Having it clock in, I think the episode was around 35 minutes, was literally as short as I could get it with having every plot point. Everything that was in there almost had to be in there. But I recommend out of all the episodes I've done, that's the one that you click on those links, you're going to read some really cool firsthand UFO encounters. So I encourage you to go back to that and check those links out. But when I was researching that, I came across an article, it was deaths attributed to UFOs, or, you know, people who had died during the investigation of UFOs, things like that, because a couple of people had died by the Chupa Chupas. And I came across a couple stories, two to be exact, of human mutilation. Now, not human mutilation like some gross old serial killer or some, like, gangbangers, but people who they suspected were human forms of cattle mutilation. Now, if you don't know what cattle mutilation is, it is the theory that cows are abducted by aliens and they do these surgical procedures to them. Generally, their eyes are removed, their anus is removed, all the blood is drained from the body, they have like these burn marks in their skin, they have these holes bore into them. And the reason why we know about it is that we find cows in the middle of nowhere and they're missing their eyes and they're missing their anus, they're missing their genitals, and they don't have any blood. And farmers have been dealing with this problem for a long time. I mean, in recorded, like in the past, mostly like say 40, 50, 60 years, there's been more documentation of these cattle mutilations. And the theories started off where it's like, oh, it's a satanic cult, or it's UFOs, or it's some sicko out there traveling all of the United States doing these things to cows. But farmers do find these cows. They can't find them, and then when they do find them, they're missing their eyes and other soft tissue parts of their body. And the theory with UFOologists is that they're being abducted, tested on, and then being dropped back off. Now, the question of whether or not humans have been subjected to this... You know, people believe, some people believe, that we do have proof of it because we have two stories of bodies that have been found in similar states. So, there was an interesting story that came out of New Mexico in 1956. It's known as the Jonathan Lovett Incident. So, Jonathan Lovett and William Cunningham were friends and they were in the military together. And they said, William Cunningham, so spoiler alert, you think you know what happens to Jonathan. William Cunningham says that him and Jonathan were out and about, and they were looking for, like, missile debris. That uh, There was a missile test or something that had happened, and they had to go find pieces of it that fell off for their job, I'm assuming. I don't assuming they're just collectors. Cunningham comes back to the base alone, and he says something took Jonathan. He, they went to go look at these sand dunes to go find this debris. Actually, and now I've kind of figured out probably what happened here, but they go to the sand dunes to look for this debris, 
And all of a sudden, Jonathan Lovett disappeared. He couldn't find, like, he was gone in a heartbeat. And then Cunningham heard the screams. He ran over and he saw Lovett there. And there was a silver disc hovering over Jonathan Lovett. And these, like, he described them as snake-like creatures. But basically, these tendrils came out of the vehicle, wrapped around Jonathan Lovett, and sucked him into the boat. And a boat sucked him into the spaceship or whatever it was, the silver disc, and then it flew away. People were thinking that Cunningham no had must have done something to him and they buried the body or something like that. But what happened was eventually Jonathan Lovett's body was discovered and he had these wounds such as removal of the eyes, ears, and tongue. And according to this article on UFOinsight.com, every drop of blood had also been removed from the carcass. So that's a little spooky. You're out with your buddy, palling around the dunes, and he, the little spaceship zooms him up, and then it flies away with him, and then you find his body, and he has the wounds that we attribute with cattle mutilations. The next story we have on that actually has less information, but more documentation, because unfortunately, we have photos of this poor fellow. We don't know who he was, and took place in Brazil which is kind of weird because we were just there with our Operation Plate episode. This took place at the Gowana Paringa Reservoir. It's uh, south of Sao Sao Pablo. Sao Pablo is that how you say it. But anyways, so they found this body and the pictures are quite grisly. So uh, don't be clicking on the links if you don't want to see a picture of a screaming dead man because this guy, he has his lips completely eaten away. Um, his anus is completely gone. His He has damage to the genitals. His organs are also messed up, like gone. Here, let me read. So this is from the autopsy report. I'm going to read this specifically because this is important. From the autopsy report, we, re- we observed the removal of the right and left orbital areas, that's your eyeballs, emptying of the mouth cavity, pharynx, or pharynx, neck, right and left armpit area, abdomen, pelvic cavity, right and left groin area. The axol, axol, axillary, axillary regions. Sorry, the axillary regions on both. <laughs> uh, the axillary regions on both sides showed soft spots where organs had been removed. Incisions were made on the face, internal thorax, abdomen, legs, arms, and chest. Shoulders and arms have perforations of one to one and a half inches in diameter, where tissue and muscles were extracted. The edges of the perforations were uniform and so were their size. The chest had shrunk due to the removal of internal organs. Cause of death. Acute hemorrhage in multiple traumatisms. I think that's probably like multiple wounds. I don't know. There is a component of causa mortis by vagus stimulation. Implying, don't worry, I'm almost done reading here. Implying cardiorespiratory arrest caused by extreme pain. So basically he had a heart attack because he was in so much pain. The victim showed injuries of vital reaction characteristics, as in there is the component torture. The suggested modus operandi is incisions in soft parts and natural orifices using sucking devices. Now, because he died of a heart attack caused by pain... That's, you know, at least they have a cause of death for him, and they have these these quite gruesome photos if you want to see pictures of people with holes in their body. And I read on other websites, too, that his body was also completely drained of blood. So, here's the thing. There's a... Okay, so, cattle mutilations, for the most part, have been debunked. Yes, that is real. The cows are being found with their soft organs gone, and they're missing 
some of their blood. And that's why hyperbole is very important with conspiracy theory. They're missing blood, but they're not completely drained. There's not a single drop of blood in them. So in 1979, there was Sheriff Herb Marshall. Herb or Herb, I, I think it doesn't matter. I've always said Herb. Herb, wait, no, do I say it? I guess I say Herb if it's a person. Anyways, he's in Arkansas, and he goes, you know what, I'm having all these reports of cattle mutilations, and the farmers and ranchers are telling me that they think UFOs are taking them, or satanic cult or whatever, but I think it's something more natural. So he took a cow carcass, and he threw it, a freshly killed cow, and he threw it out, and they watched it for 48 hours straight. No one showed up to drain anything from it, and they blow flies. It was basically maggots turning into flies and predators which will go for the soft tissue they'll burrow holes in you and they'll eat at your butthole and they'll eat at your eyes and your lips because that's all the easiest things to eat path of least resistance and then after that another research group i believe it was in canada did a similar experiment and they said yeah i mean everything you can attribute to well let's let me back up most of the things you can attribute to cattle mutilation happen just naturally in the world And you go, well, Jason, ranchers and farmers, they see dead cows all the time. Don't you think they would know this was was natural? And they do see dead cows all the time, but they don't find the carcass. They see a dead cow and they get to it before all the scavengers. It's dying on their farm as opposed to a cow getting away from the farm, dying, and then four days later they find it. So the two humans who died, it's possible that one, the guy from Brazil was tortured to death. And just the rest of the damage was done by predators. I think this, the guy in Brazil, was probably killed very horribly. Maybe they were, like, sucking his organs out while he was still alive. But again, the most logical answer was he was murdered by other humans. And we just found his body later. The guy in New Mexico, I mean, I don't want to cast dispersions or anything. But it's most likely, again, the most likely answer is... He was killed by his friend. I do think it's weird that if I murdered a guy in the middle of nowhere, my go-to story would not be a UFO kidnapped him unless I figured the body would never be discovered. So if I murdered somebody in the middle of nowhere, I would not then go to the cops and say, oh my God, dude, my friend, something terrible happened to him. They're like, what happened? And I said, a UFO abducted him. Like, that wouldn't be my go-to thing. So if he did murder him, I the story may have evolved over time because I'm seeing that a lot doing this podcast. I'm seeing a lot. Now, again, let me go to that real quick. Originally, I'm sure the original story for both of these bodies were like, there was no blood at the crime scene. Like, we didn't find a lot of blood. And now it's become, there's no blood at all in the body. It's been completely drained. And I know that's 100% false, for this Brazil one, because in the excerpts of the autopsy report that I just read to you, there is no mention of the body having no blood in it, like zero blood whatsoever. If it said that in the autopsy report, this website would have definitely highlighted that part, because that helps their theory. This website is one of the sites that talks about the body's drained of blood, especially when it talks about uh, Jonathan Lovett. So if, it, if the body actually had no blood, if the coroner could say this body has not a single drop of blood in it, I think the, the body probably didn't have a lot of blood in it. And then over time, the story has morphed to saying it had no blood, none at all. It's just completely dry. There's biological actions that take place with blood and everything like that. That's why there's not blood everywhere from every time someone spilled blood, because little things are eating it. But anyways... Uh, both all of these stories can be logically explained the cows being found with their eyes being bore out and 
their butthole's gone and stuff like that. And these two gentlemen who have similar wounds. My thing with the whole cattle mutilation, the cattle mutilation thing, the idea of it is creepy to begin with. That there's vehicles out there beyond our understanding that are abducting cows and possibly humans and experimenting on them and just dropping off in the middle of nowhere for us to find it. It's creepy. You find like this carcass. You don't know how it got there. Or why it suffered the wounds. Some people say that some of the cows have looked like they broke their necks due to drops from heights. And how else would a cow fall unless it was beamed up and then dropped? My pushback to the whole alien side of the cattle mutilation thing is that... So what we have to accept is a race of people, a race of beings, have built ships that are beyond our understanding of technology. And they also have the ability to beam things up or have tendrils that can come down and grab you and pull you up into their ship. And then they just throw your body out when they're done with it. They don't have an incinerator. They don't have, I mean, we have incinerators. If we, if somebody does something they don't want anyone to know about, just throw it in a, a fireplace at the very least, or you take them to a crematory. But somehow these aliens have all this advanced technology and they go... Man, we're doing these experiments and we hope nobody finds out because our experimentation isn't done yet. We need to have all these cow anuses to be able to take over the planet. And yet they just throw the cows outside. Why don't they fly over the ocean and drop them into the ocean? Make it more difficult for us to suss out what their plan is. So, I mean, the story of the aliens, it automatically has that weak point. And you could say, well, the aliens want us to know. No, they don't. No, they don't. Ever. Never, ever that's there's there would be no reason for them to want to leave evidence if the point of it was to do some sort of experiment on it they would just dump them off when we kidnap monkeys and experiment on them to do makeup we don't then take the monkey bodies and throw them back in the jungle to let the other monkeys know that we're doing it or to sow fear in the monkey population no we dispose of the bodies in a laboratory or in a crematory i think well you know the the guy again the the military guy I don't want to disparage him at all but I think him and his buddy were probably out doing something that was frowned upon in the 1950s and something happened and the best story he could come up with is a giant snake slithered out and got his buddy which you can read in the Freudian implications of that if you'd like I think that's far more likely than a group of beings far more advanced than us took a dude drilled out his butthole and threw him on the ground i but i i don't think that i i I, for one the whole story may be made up it may just be part of ufology lore but it's also very likely that he did something to his friend and made the story up and with the new mexico thing my question would be why didn't the ufo take the witness as well A man did die. We're assuming the whole story could be completely made up because one thing, another thing I've learned during this podcast is sometimes you see the same story repeated over and over again and then it turns out it's just made, it's just completely not true. But let's assume the story is true. Why didn't the UFO take Cunningham too? Why did it let a witness go? And again, I say, why did the UFO then dump the body later? Why didn't it just incinerate it and the guy goes missing and that way the alien, whoever was piloting the ship, would be like, ha ha ha, I pulled one over on those good old Yankees flying away. But instead it drops the body, the guy who got the murder charges, you didn't get charged with murder and stuff like that. That entire story just kind of smells in general. Hey, you know what? Actually, that's a good segue. Because, speaking of smells, 
I came across this, this is going to be really short, because I think it's hilarious. There's not a ton of information on it. It's true, though. We'll say that. Here is a word I can't pronounce. I know you guys love this when I'm talking about stuff that I can't pronounce. So this is a compound called thioacetone. Thioacetone. And it is a, it basically is a terrible, terrible smell. Now you go, oh, you know, that's not bad, Jason. Stuff smells all the time. You should smell your mama's feet or something like that. No, this stuff is so gnarly and it spreads out. Thioacetone is more than just a bad smell. It's described as fearful. Quoting this article here, it says, It makes innocent downwind pedestrians stagger, clutch their stomachs, and flee in terror. It reeks to a degree that makes people suspect evil supernatural forces. So, they don't know why it smells so bad. It has, they believe it has something to do with the sulfur component of the compound. But it basically will just unleash through a city. I think it's like up to a half a kilometer. It's this huge range where you will be just walking down the street and you'll be like, oh, it's so bad. When they, back in 1889 was the first time that it was really, no, this effect on it was truly notated. It says the reaction produced an offensive smell which spread rapidly over a great area of the town, causing fainting, vomiting, and a panic evacuation because people just started, you were just do, minding your own business and the worst smell you could ever imagine hit you. And you're like, you would think the world was ending if you heard it, smelt this. So again, I don't want to be reading quotes the whole night, but I just think these are so funny. So this happened in the 1960s, okay? Now we're in, I think, Britain. Yeah, okay. Recently, we found ourselves with an odor problem beyond our worst expectations. During early experiments, a stopper jumped from a bottle of residues, and although replaced at once resulted in an immediate complaint of nausea and sickness from colleagues working in a building 200 yards away. Two of our chemists who had done no more than investigate the cracking of minute amounts of triathetone found themselves the object of hostile stares in a restaurant and suffered the humiliation of having a waitress spray the area around them with the deodorant. The odors defied the expected effects of dilution since workers in the laboratory did not find the odors intolerable. So when they were super close to it, they didn't notice it. And I'm assuming, I know sometimes you're, they have that delicacy in Sweden that it's the rotted fish and you open it up and the smell is so bad it burns your nose so you can't smell it. But if you like walk into the room after the can's opened, you're going to be physically sick because it smells so bad. You have to be there when it's open. So these two chemists, they're messing around. They immediately like, they're not basically their nose hairs give up and die. But as the smell left the laboratory, it was totally noxious. Now, they said this the chemists were like, there's absolutely no way that was us because the laboratory is a closed system. The smell could not leave the laboratory. To convince them otherwise, we're going back to the quote here, to convince them otherwise, they were dispersed with other observers around the laboratory at a distance up to a quarter of a mile, and one drop of either acetone gem. I'm not going to go into that. And one drop of either one chemical I can't pronounce or this other chemical I can barely pronounce were placed on a watch glass in a fume cup cupboard. The odor was detected downwind in seconds. So now these two chemists, now they're out of the laboratory and they're walking around and they could just be like, oh my God, this is the worst smell ever. I don't know why they don't use this as a weapon. I'm wondering if the smell, how long the smell lingers in a particular area. 
But it seems like it would be a really efficient. Like, you can prepare for, like, loud noises. You can prepare for bright lights. But you kind of have to be able to breathe. Like, you can plug your nose up with stuff. But in some sort of, like, riot situation, you're going to want to have the ability to breathe in and out of both your mouth and your nostrils. If you're walking into a riot situation, you already have earplugs in, heavy sunglasses... And now you got plugs up your nose. You're really limiting your ability to interact with other people in a rioting situation. I, we shoot tear gas into people's houses. I think it would... And it, actually, that probably answers the question right there. Tear gas can be fairly contained. But anytime you would use this weapon, like if someone was in their house and you're like, come out of your house. They're like, no. And then you're throwing stink bombs into their house. Yeah. everyone suffers. You're going to have a quarter of a mile of people being like, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Why does it smell so bad? And then if you lived in a bad neighborhood, it would constantly be happening. And so, yeah, I kind of want to end it on, end on a light note today. Usually like the end stories, kind of the heavy story, but I was like, you know what? We, we had a rough weekend. It's been a rough weekend for everybody involved. You just had all that craziness that happened here in the United States. And I was like, let's end on a funny note today. Plus I'm not feeling a hundred percent. As far as uh, just my tummy. But I, I, I talk about the grossest stories this episode. But yeah. It was nice to end on a light note, I should say. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason L. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.